Take your Bibles. Let's stand together. Let's read God's word together. Romans chapter 1, starting at verse number 1. We're going to read 17 verses today. 17 verses of Scripture. We are in this series. We just launched it last week in Romans. We did the background study of Romans last week. If you were not here, you want to catch up. All of our messages are online, and you can watch them anytime, 24 hours a day. You can watch them two or three times a day. If you, get, if you wake up in the night and you can't sleep, turn it on. It will put you back to sleep, I promise you. You'll hear my voice, and you go, oh, it's droning on and on and on. Just kidding. Romans chapter 1, start verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus... Called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures regarding his son. Who as to his human nature was the descendant of David. And who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his namesake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are, who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to use some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated, both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Thank you that you preserved it, recorded it, inspired it. You wrote it, O God. So we thank you for that. Speak to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord. From time to time, scientists have have sent space probes to this wonderful planet that is just down the road from us called Mars. Have you been to Mars? It's just a few hundred, they, what does they say? A hundred million miles away. It is a, it's a long ways. And um, for, 
for a long time, human beings have been intrigued by, the, by the, the planet Mars because there has been rumors, at least scientists have been saying, that it could possibly inhabit life. That humans could possibly live there. That there might be the conditions on the, on the planet Mars that we could actually have a colony or, or, a, or, or an distant land sometime in the future there. Who knows? I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but it's interesting to me when I think about that. I've always loved space travel. I've always loved the thought of the stars and the, the planets and the universe that God has created. It's just so intriguing. And a lot of people, when they look at the book of, of Romans, they, they almost look at the book of Romans like, like scientists look at, at, um, at Mars. They think to themselves, you know, that book is so important. It's, it's got so much information in it. It is so essential to our faith. For those of us who are Protestants, and most of you in the house would call yourself a Protestant, that would be somebody that had come to faith after the Reformation. The book of Romans was so crucial, as we learned last week. It was the primary book that led to the discovery of this idea that we are saved by faith through grace. That we are not saved by works. And it was through that, through, through Martin Luther's uh, study of the book of Romans and his commentaries that he wrote, that the launching of a whole new movement called Protestants, or in those days they were called protesters, they were protesting against some of the practices of our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church. And that, that led to a, a mighty movement. It was John Wesley who, re, who read Martin Luther's commentary on Romans. And his heart was strangely warmed. And he was transformed. And the Methodist movement was started. It was Karl Barth who read, the, who read the commentary in the book of Romans and then started the evangelical movement in the 19, 1920s that moved the church to being a more evangelistic kind of movement. Every time God has done something historically, the book of Romans has been a part of that. And I don't know about you, but I, my heart's desire is that God would do something again in 2022. That he would do something in us. And that we could see a movement. And so today we launch, we are literally launching with the Apostle Paul into the book of Romans. We're starting at verse 1 and we're going to go 12,500 verses all the way through Romans. It might take us a while, but we're going to do it together, amen? And we're going to ask God to teach us to move upon us, to speak to us, and to help us to grow deeper in our walk with him and that we'll see lives change in a powerful, powerful way. This is a launch. And when you look at Paul's letters, and he wrote several letters in the New Testament, it was this, this launching, verses 1 through 17, are what I would call the, the launching of the entire book. Verses 16 and 17 are the thesis. We're going to get there in today's message. The thesis of the entire book. But, but Paul had an extended launch for this letter. If you were to compare this letter to some of his other letters that he wrote, his launch of his other letters are much shorter and more direct. It would be like reading verse 1 of Romans 1, 1, and verse 7, and that is the launch. But in between verse 1 and verse 7, there is this, this 
well, in the original language, was the longest sentence in history. Because Paul goes on a tirade. He goes on a, he goes on a little, he spins off and he kind of says, you know, uh, uh, not only am I a, uh, a servant of Jesus Christ, but let me tell you who Jesus is. And he spells it out for us in verses 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And then he finally gets to 7. He says, oh, by the way, I'm writing to you Romans. And so he launches into this. And so this morning, as we look at this passage of Scripture, I've divided it up into three sections. We're going to talk about the man, that's Paul. We're going to talk about the mission, and we're going to talk about the message. The man, the mission, and the message. Because Paul lays this out so wonderfully in his introduction to the book of Romans. And in that, those 17 verses is so much stuff. I mean, he packs it full of, of doctrine, of, of theological insights, of personal journeys, and of, of, of forecasting what he's going to talk about throughout the rest of the book of Romans. So let's launch together with him by looking, first of all, at the man, the man Paul. Paul, as most of you know, was a, was a Jewish follower. His, his, his name, prior to him being converted, to, and his new name, which is his Greek name or his Roman name, Paul, was Saul. Saul was a, he was a, uh, he was a fair, what they call a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was, um, he was the ultra-religious guy, okay? Now, I, could I just tell you? Religious people turn me off. You're not religious people, are you? I mean, just people who are purely religious and do not have a personal relationship with God sometimes see themselves as better than other people. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was, he was somebody that was taught in the very best schools of Jewish thought. He probably memorized a lot of the Old Testament. He was somebody that was an expert in, in all of the um, religious um, um, requirements and laws that, it called, that, that would lead someone to be called a Pharisee. He was the ultra-Pharisee. But you'll notice here in chapter 1, verse 1, that Paul doesn't even refer to his past when he talks about his present reality. Notice what he says about himself. He says, first of all, he says, I, this letter is from Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus, chosen by God to be an apostle sent out to preach the good news. He calls himself three things here in the very beginning. He first of all calls himself a bond servant. He was a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. He no longer saw himself as a religious person. He saw himself as a follower of Christ. He was a person who was seeing himself as almost like a slave. And in those days, they would have a slave market. They would have, literally have people on the side of the road that would unfortunately, in that day and time, would sell other human beings. And they would sell them to work in their fields or the work in their business. And they would, they would get employment by being sold. And, Jesus, and Paul is referring to himself, I have actually been bought by the Son of God on a cross through Jesus Christ. He died for me, and therefore he has bought and purchased my salvation. 
I am no longer my own. I am no longer who I used to be. I am brand new in Christ. I see myself now as a servant. Pharisees saw themselves above people. Christians see themselves below. They see themselves as servants. Serving the greater humanity. Serving God. Serving the world with our gifts and our talents. And that's exactly how Paul saw himself. He saw himself as an apostle. The word apostle literally means missionary. The one who was sent. And Paul was a missionary. He was one who went around proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and sharing the good news. He was sent, set apart for the gospel of God. He was set apart. God says, I'm going to set you apart as my purposes and my ways. And if you know the story, I mean, you can go back to Acts chapter 9. You can read about Paul's conversion. Saul becoming Paul and how God stopped him and how God told him, I am going to send you as a missionary to the Gentiles to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. And through that experience, he begins to continue to proclaim the gospel of God. Now, as we look at this together, I want to remind you that Romans is all about the gospel. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. You will discover that in these 17 verses that Paul uses the word gospel seven times. Just the fact that he repeats gospel, 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 gospel seems to indicate that he's going to be talking about the gospel. And the gospel is not just something that saves you. The gospel is sustains you and helps you to live out your life for your whole life. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here in the very beginning, he says that he has been sent out to preach the good news. That is the gospel of God. Amen. And so who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? He's the new king, the new Messiah who has been born. Now, Paul is writing to the, to the Christians in Rome. He has never, he has at this point not visited Rome. It's the only place he wrote a letter to prior to him getting there. And he's writing this letter to, a, to the most powerful city on the face of the earth at that day and time. Caesar was in power. You know what they called Caesar in that day and time? They called him the son of God. His, his, his presence was almost like deity. They saw themselves as as divine, as the ones who had all power and all know. And you were to worship almost your leader, Caesar. And here is Paul now writing a letter to the Roman Christians who are there in Rome, and he's telling them, I want to tell you about a bigger and better and more divine person. His name is Jesus. I am a slave not to Caesar. I am a slave to Jesus. And by the way, if you're a Christian and you're an American today, you should be a slave to Jesus above our politics. Amen? Amen. God is number one, not our political affiliations, not our political parties, not our presidents. We do not serve our political leaders. We serve our God. They're supposed to serve us, at least in this country. Amen? I think that's the way the Constitution is written, isn't it? So, but he, who is Jesus Christ? 
And so Paul wants to make sure he doesn't go from verse 1 and say, hey, I'm a slave of Jesus. I'm an apostle. I've been set apart. By the way, hey, Romans, grace and peace to you. Because he goes on a little tangent. In verse number 2, he says these words. Which he promised beforehand. In other words, in verse number one, he said the God, that he had come to set apart for the gospel of God, for the good news, which he had promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. The gospel of Jesus Christ didn't start at the gospel, at the resurrection, at the death, resurrection, I'm sorry, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God had been talking about the gospel all the way back to creation. He had been talking about the gospel. He'd been talking about how he's going to redeem his world, how he's going to change his world. So the gospel did not originate with human beings. It originated with God. That's why it's called the gospel of God first. Before he uses the gospel concerning his son, in verse 1 he says it is the gospel of God. So God is the originator of his plan to redeem humanity, to redeem his creation and that gospel was recorded for us in the Holy Scriptures. And then the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, was declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourself who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. That's not even the end of the verse yet, by the way. That's just through verse number four, five and six continue the sentence. And so Paul is trying to say, whoa, 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 I got to tell you about Jesus. He's the new king. He's the savior of the world. And so he declares who Jesus is. Can I tell you in our world today, we still need to declare who he is. In the next service, we're going to baptize 12 new believers. One of them, on Tuesday, came to my office and his girlfriend wanted him to be baptized. And so I met with him and I, and I said to Justin, I said, Justin, do you know who Jesus is? And here's what he said to me. No. I said, you don't know who Jesus is? No. Do you, do you know about anything about Jesus at all? And he said, no. This is a 21-year-old man who grew up in Bakersfield who'd had no idea who Jesus is. And I think sometimes we in the church thinks everybody knows Everybody knows, everybody knows, everybody knows. Could I tell you, there are people who still don't know who he is. And so I shared the good news of Jesus Christ with Justin. And at the end of me sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and what he had done for us and who God is and who Jesus is and shared my own personal testimony of how Christ had changed my life. Justin received Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior on Tuesday night. Amen. 
And today he's going to be baptized. I think that's scriptural, isn't it? Is that scriptural, Bill? It is scriptural, right? I think that's the order. You're supposed to get saved and then baptized, not baptized and saved. Just saying. Amen? The water doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Hallelujah. But Paul wanted to be clear to the Roman church. And he wanted to be clear to Caesar that there's a new king in town. There's a new God in town. There's somebody that deserves to be bowed down and worshiped to because he was before Caesar. He was before humankind. He is the king of kings and lord of lords who has made himself known in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Paul declares here two things for us. First of all, oh yeah, I was going to tell you about him. I'll come back to him in a second. First of all, he declares that he's fully human. Who is Jesus? He's fully human. He says he's the descendant of David. Now Paul is talking to Jewish Christians. And Jewish, Christ, Jewish Christians who, were, who grew up in Judaism believed that David, King David, was, was so important in their life. Was so important. And so, 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 so Paul declares that Jesus comes as the descendant of King David. He is the one who David says, there's going to be one who will come after me who will sit on my throne, who will never die. He will live forever. And David forecasts, prophesies about the coming of Jesus. He is a descendant of David. He is second of all, fully divine. He is declared to be the son of God by the Holy Spirit and by his resurrection. He is declared to be the son of God. Notice what it says there. It says, it says that, that, that and through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead. The scriptures declared that Jesus Christ was fully divine and fully human, that he had always existed prior to creation, that he came and he was born, that he lived on this planet for 33 years, that they put him in a tomb, that he was dead, that he rose again to life, and that he ascended back to the Father and is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now making intercession for us. And Paul wanted to be clear in the very beginning of this letter. Who is Jesus? Who is he? Because that's what the gospel is all about. God enfleshing himself and being born. And he was here. I love what it's, it's in, the, in, in, in the early times. Now remember... Um, give you a little church history lesson here. This book of Romans was written in the year 56 or 57, somewhere in that range. By the time the church that had been birthed got to be the year 300, okay, you're talking about 250 years. Not a long time, but in that period in time, there were several heresies that were being taught by people within the church that were heretical about who Jesus was. One of the most important things the church had to deal with was, who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? Paul declares right here in 
56 and 57 in the book of Romans that he is fully God and fully man. It was like the, the very earliest statement of who Christ was in his letter right there. It was just a little tangent in his launching of the entire letter. But there are several heresies that came about. And you can write these down and look them up later. I'm not going to spend a lot of time with them. But there is first of all what is called adoptionism. They believe that Jesus was just a man. And that his baptism and in his resurrection made him the son of God. Did you catch that? He, he kind of grows into being the son of God. He wasn't the son of God when he was born. He sort of became that. There is what is called... Dosis, do, 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 yeah, thank you. Jesus only appeared to be human. In other words, this teaching coming out of Gnosticism believed that, that human flesh was evil and therefore because everything of matter was evil, there was impossible for Jesus to be fully human or to be God. So therefore, what you physically see Jesus walking around was just a ghost. It wasn't really real. He was a phantom. Then there is the heresy of what is called modelism. Modelism was Jesus is not co-eternal with God the Father and the Holy Spirit. In other words, there was only one God. His name was the Father. And the Son was not God. He was just a, a, a part of who the son of the, the father was and the holy spirit was not god this by the way became the foundation this heresy led to the foundation of what we christians talk about when we talk about the trinity god is father son and holy spirit the three had become one and god is not the father the father is not the son and the son is not the holy spirit and the holy spirit is not the father but they're all three of them are one they are completely unified and that would be the Trinity. And then you have Arianism. This was a prophet who began to teach that Jesus is not divine. That he was human, but he was never divine. Out of all of these heresies coming along, you had the church trying to figure out who is Jesus. And you know what? Today, there are still even pockets of Christianity that are trying to figure out who is Jesus. Paul is trying to say to the Roman church, I want to tell you who this new king Jesus is. He is fully God and fully human. He is complete. He is divine. And out of this experience, you have what is called the Nicene Creed, which is written in 318. The church comes together in a council and they begin to say, you know what? We've got to come to the place where we write down exactly what we believe as about Jesus. And that statement is called the Nicene Creed, which I gave you a copy of this morning. It's in your notes. It's stapled on the second page. That's why you should pick up your notes on the way in, folks. It's not on the screen, so you can pick it up on the way out if you'd like to, okay? But in those notes, you will discover that he says, he says this, I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, born of the Father before all ages. He is God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made. 
co-substantial with the Father through whom all things were made. For us men in our salvation, he came down from heaven by the Holy Spirit, was incarnate by the Virgin Mary, became man. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried, rose again on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living of the dead. His kingdom will have no end. This statement, the Nicene Creed, is the orthodox statement that unifies all Christians worldwide. Catholics, Protestants, Orthodox, anybody who considers themselves part of the body of Jesus Christ would claim and declare the Nicene Creed to be the creed that declares who is Jesus. You should know it. That's why I gave you a copy of it. It's important for you to understand it. I love what Runwriter said this about Jesus. He is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He is the keeper of creation and the creator of all. He is the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He always was and always is. He always will be the unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone God. He was bruised and brought healing. He was, peased and e- he was pierced and eased our pain. He was persecuted and brought freedom. He was dead and brought to life. He, was, he is risen and brings power. He reigns and brings peace. The world cannot understand him. The armies can't defeat him. The schools can't explain him. And the leaders can't ignore him. Herod couldn't kill him. The Pharisees couldn't confuse him. The grave couldn't hold him. Nero couldn't crush him. Hitler couldn't silence him. Other religions can't replace him. And the world can't explain him away. He is the light, the love, the longevity, the Lord. He is the goodness, kindness, gentleness, God. He is holy and righteous, mighty and powerful and pure. His ways are right. His word is eternal. His will is unchanging. His mind is on us. He is my redeemer, my savior, my guide, my peace, my joy, my comfort. He is my Lord. He is the ruler of my life. Jesus is what we're all about. Amen? And Paul wanted to make that clear in the very beginning of Romans. He is our Savior and our Lord. Now, I'll go back to that picture I showed you. Remember the picture that came up? You know who this guy is? Anybody know? Thank you very much, Bill. Charles Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon is probably the most publicized preacher in Christian history. Over 22,000 books, many of all of his sermons. And here's what Charles Spurgeon did. He said that every time he preached, no matter what passage of Scripture he was in, he always ended every sermon with Jesus. He preached Jesus, 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 Jesus. He made sure that every passage pointed back to Jesus. Because Jesus is almost in every single page of the Bible, my friends. You can find him. He's there. The gospel of God. A young preacher came up to Charles Spurgeon one day and said, after he had done preaching, he says, how was my sermon? 
And Spurgeon says it was weak. He said, well, why it was weak? I, I preached from the scripture. He said, you never mentioned Jesus. You preached an entire message and never mentioned Jesus. To Spurgeon, that was the cardinal sin of a preacher. And Paul wanted to be clear in the very beginning of Romans here. It's all about Jesus. Amen. It's all about Jesus. The man that is writing this book that we call Romans, this letter, he didn't want to see himself as a Pharisee who was above everybody. He saw himself as a bond slave, a servant of Jesus, an apostle, a missionary, uh, one who was sent out to preach the good news of the gospel of God who has made himself known in Jesus. Jesus. Do you know him? Have you bowed your knees before him? Have you made him your Lord? And is he the number one person in your life? Above all others. Could I just say this? Above yourself. Because sometimes we wonder, we, we live our lives about ourselves. When Jesus should be number one. Our bond servant of the Lord. Well, let's move on. Time is fleeting, and I've already preached the whole sermon already. Keep going. Come on, come on. Go, go, go. i got to flip all through all these. All right. Here's point number two, the mission. The mission. Paul goes on to say here in verses number five and six, through him, who's him? That's Jesus. And for his name's sake, that's Jesus, we receive grace and apostleship to do what? To call people from among all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus. Paul wanted to make very clear in the very launching of this letter that his mission, his purpose... The reason that he was writing this letter, the reason he traveled, the reason he was shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead, the reason he did everything he did was to call people from among all the Gentiles, that would be anybody who's not Jewish, although he did preach to Jewish people too, to obedience that comes through faith. The call is to obedience which comes to faith. Could I say this? Hear this. Paul's going to say this very clearly in the, in the rest of, of Romans. God doesn't save you for yourself. He saves you to get rid of yourself. He saves you to get set free from the power of sin in your life. He saves you that you walk by faith in obeying God every single day of your life. He's your master and your savior. And he's calling you to a life of obedience to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not in your own strength, but by believing in his power to do it through you. Amen? That was his mission. He goes on to say this. He says, he says this in verses number 8 and 10. First he says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. So these Roman Christians were well known. He says... God, whom I serve with my whole heart, now catch that, 
God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be open for me to come to you. Paul says, my mission to call people to repentance and obedience through faith. And he also says here that his mission was to serve God with his whole heart. God doesn't want you to be half-hearted. He doesn't want you to go through the motions. He doesn't want you to be a Christian just on Sunday or just half the time. He wants all of you all the time. He wants you to die to yourself and experience life. And he wants you to come to the place where you walk in God's will for your life. Notice that Paul said, you know what? My will was to go to Rome, but I could never quite get there. I've been praying that there would be the Lord's will. And as I shared with you last week, remember, Paul never got to Rome the way he thought he would get to Rome. You know how he got to Rome? In shackles, as a prisoner. He went to Rome because he was forced to go to Rome because they were going to kill him. And he was a Roman citizen and he appealed to Caesar. He appealed to Caesar so that he could have a trial in Rome so that when he got before Caesar, you know what he did? He preached the gospel. He told him about Jesus. He told him about his salvation and what God had done. Why? Because he wanted the God's will done in his life. That's the mission. Amen? And so... He goes on to say this, and I want you to catch the three terms here, obligated, eager, and not ashamed, because three times Paul gets very personal here, very personal, a personal testimony in the very beginning of this letter. He says, I am obligated, both to the Greeks and the non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Paul knew he felt totally obligated. Now what's an obligation? You get bills, you're obligated to pay your bills, right? You're obligated to pay your taxes. You're obligated, if you're in school, to do your homework. You're obligated to, uh, to go to work and be on time. There's a lot of obligations we have in life. Paul comes along and he says, when you become a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and you have died to yourself, you become obligated to share that news with others. Our district superintendent, Rob Songer, on his report on Thursday night at our district assembly, told the story about how him and Debbie were getting ready to fly. And when they fly together, they usually fly like this. He sits on the aisle, she sits on the middle. Well, somehow the seats got messed up. And they got a seat assignments for this flight. 
And the seat assignments was that he was in the middle on one aisle and she was in the middle on the other aisle. And he said to the, said to the, to the, to the flight attendant lady at the front desk, he said, he said, this isn't right. This is not right. This should not be. And the lady said, I'm sorry, Mr. Songer, but the flight is full. That's the only seat we have. You're going to have to sit in the middle. So Rob's a pretty big guy. He gets on the airplane and he, and he slides in. He realizes and the guy sitting on the, on the aisle is a big man. And the guy sitting on the window is even bigger. And he thinks to himself, well, here I am. Woe is me. I'm going to have to sit between these two guys for a four-hour flight. I'd have been tempted to get off that plane. So he sits down and he's pouting. And the Lord says to him, why don't you just shut up and let me work? As it turns out, he got to know the guy, one guy to his right that was sitting on the window, who was a a man that had, had everything in the world but didn't know Jesus. And by the end of the flight when they landed, he was holding hands with the guy next to him, leading him in a prayer of faith. If we could get up every day and say, God, my day is your day. My life is your life. My purpose is your purpose. I am obligated, Lord, to see my life in everything that I do, no matter where I go, no matter what restaurant I'm in, no matter what grocery store I'm in, no matter what town I live, no matter what my job is. Lord God, I am obligated to be a person that shares the good news of Jesus Christ. Paul said to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the Greeks in one version it says the barbarians, to those who think they have, have elite status and those who have no status at all, to those who are wise and those who are foolish, to the rich, the poor, the young, the old, the black, the white, the yellow, no matter who you are, the gospel is for everyone. Eager, he said. Obligated, eager, and not ashamed. That's his mission. To call them to faith in Jesus Christ and obedience to the will of God. Paul makes it very clear that he will proclaim Jesus even if he gets arrested and killed. Even if he has to stand before Caesar and all of the other political mucky mucks. He doesn't care. He's going to talk about Jesus. When's the last time you talked about Jesus? When's the last time you thought and prayed and said, Lord, open my mouth. Use my lips. Use my hands. Use my life. I am yours. Today, we want to be politically correct. We don't want to offend anybody. Today, we've gotten to the place where the media and our culture has silenced us. Who do we serve? 
the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Well, there's one more, and that's the message. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. And I put in red the three most important words in this, this theme verse. Theme verses. Power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. First for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Paul is going to take these two verses. And he's going to expand it for the next seven chapters of Romans. He's going to clearly articulate. How do you get saved? What does salvation mean? What is the righteousness that God requires that he can only provide? And how do we receive that righteousness by faith? Three things he says here. First of all, he says salvation, the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The word power there is the word that we get dynamite from. It's dunamis. He could have used the word energia, the word where we get energy from, but he wants to be clear that this word is dynamic. This power changes. This power is miraculous. This power can be instantaneous in your life. It is the power of God for what? For salvation for everyone who required here believes. If you don't believe, it ain't going to happen. If you do believe, it'll change your life. And so he says it's power to save you. It's power to deliver you. It's power to transform you. Salvation that he is talking about is not just getting saved. It's not just the birth. It's also the sanctification. It's also the transformation of your life. It's, it's also God doing a work to deliver you from all the darkness, the pain, the heartache, the habits. Everything in your life that is not like Jesus wants it to be, he has the power to change in your life. And so the gospel is not just a one-time deal. It's a lifetime deal for us. It is salvation. It is the righteousness he said the gospel, which is the gospel of God, the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ, is a gospel of righteousness from God that is revealed. For a long time, you and I, human beings, have been trying to make ourselves right before God. We can't. Being religious doesn't change you. Trying to live up to the standards of God, you'll never do it. God knew that. The law which the Jewish people thought brought life, actually brought death. Paul's going to talk about that. And God says, I provided a way for you to have righteousness, and that's through my son, Jesus Christ. God will make all things right and just. Amen. Could I just say this? You know what salvation ultimately means? That God in the end is going to put away all evil. There'll be no more homelessness. There'll be no more pain and suffering. There'll be no more sicknesses. There'll be no more little babies dying at 37 weeks. 
God will make all things right. The righteousness of God is more than just moral transformation. It's transformation of his entire creation, ultimately. Praise God. And how do you get this? Through faith. The righteousness that is by faith. Now catch this, he says, from first to last. From beginning to end. There is no other way to receive the righteousness of God and the salvation of God but by faith. That faith is the righteousness will live by faith. He's actually quoting here the Old Testament. Habakkuk. 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 Thank you. I love what one writer said this way. Faith is an attitude toward God which involves an attitude toward yourself. Now catch that. All trust in one's own deserving is shut out. God, I no longer by faith trust in me. I no longer to trust in my own works, my own righteousness, my own ability to come to you. I, I by faith declare that that is dead and worthless and does not save me. This attitude of faith, Paul is going to insist in this letter, is the sole condition of salvation, an attitude that says it's only by God that he can save me. From first to last. Well, stand with me. That's enough for today. You guys feel like, whoa, Pastor Kevin. I told you it's a lot. Each part of that could have been one message. My wife says amen. I just want to finish before three and a half years. 